1: while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Analysts predict a surge in North Korean hacking after China embargoes coal. Viper Rat Catfish is the IDF. Magic Hound and Shamoon both use malicious macros to infect victim systems. Tass says no one really knows who hacked OSCE. Sputnik teases with a WikiLeaks tease. NIST has cyber advice for power utilities. We've got some RSA notes. And my friend Kayla gets the boot from Berlin. Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 21, 2017. Observers are predicting an upsurge in North Korean hacking. That prediction is driven by recently imposed Chinese sanctions. Like most of the rest of the world, China is upset by North Korean missile tests and has imposed an embargo on coal imports from the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Selling coal to China has long been a main prop of the DPRK's shaky economy, And some analysts think it's likely that Pyongyang will seek to recoup its economic fortunes through various forms of cybercrime. There are several stories trending out of the Middle East. A catfishing campaign has been targeting members of the Israeli defense forces with android malware called Viper Rat. Early speculation about attribution in the Israeli press and elsewhere pointed in the general direction of Hamas, the Palestinian Sunni group that's the de facto ruler of the Gaza Strip. Lookout security, however, believes such attribution may have been hasty, and that far from initial characterizations of Viper Rat as relatively primitive, the malware is actually more sophisticated than reports made it out to be. Cisco is tracking Magic Hound, a rat centric campaign targeting Saudi businesses. The attackers gain their entree by phishing. Cisco's Talos group says the malware is for the most part commodity stuff. IRC bots, Metasploit, Meter Preter payloads, and an open source remote administration tool. IBM's X Force has continued its investigation of Shamoon, the destructive campaign against Saudi Aramco and other Gulf targets that reappeared in November 2016 and January 2017. Researchers believe the initial infection was through malicious macros and a compromised document. In the realm of international cyber conflict, the Russian news agency TASS primly notes that TASS is authorized to state that the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE, has been unable to determine exactly what actor was responsible for the hack OSCE sustained last year. Pretty much everybody except TASS thinks it was the Russian intelligence services. Another Russian news agency, Sputnik, last week teased the world with reports that Wikileaks is itself teasing, with the prospect of more leaked emails involving Julian Assange's Bet Noir, former Democratic presidential candidate Clinton. So far, however, nothing. Bitcoin news service reports a disquieting trend. An increasing number of U.S. businesses are stockpiling Bitcoin to pay off ransomware attacks. This isn't the best news because, first, a stash of bitcoin maintained against extortion is likely to draw cyber-blackmail as meat draws flies. And second, well, if you pay, there's increasingly no guarantee you'll get your files back anyway. Ransomware purveyors are now often in it for the short term, and devil take the hindmost. Google's Project Zero is seen as having effectively shamed Microsoft when the Redmond giant pulled its expected patches instead of issuing them as expected a week ago. Google has disclosed several vulnerabilities publicly that it had earlier privately passed over to Microsoft. Industry sources are baffled by Microsoft's decision. Initially, the company announced it would delay the February patches, but shortly thereafter amended its public statement to say that it would skip February entirely, deferring fixes until March. The NIST Cybersecurity Practice Guide, SP1800-7, Situational Awareness for Electric Utilities, was issued late last week. Public comments on the draft will be accepted through April 17, 2017. The practice guide is likely to be as influential in the energy sector as other NIST publications have been elsewhere. Turning again to RSA 2017, the event's organizers claimed record attendance. 43,000 is being widely reported and the show's floor was crowded, as were surrounding streets and hotels. The many companies exhibiting were being asked by those they pitched to explain the problems their technology solved, to demonstrate the ease of their solutions implementation, and, this question largely, though not exclusively from investors, to show how they differentiate themselves in a crowded marketplace that seems ready for consolidation. Zulfikar Ramzan is Chief Technology Officer for RSA Security, and he was the keynote speaker at this
2: year's conference. We caught up with him at the show. To me this past year, the defining issue for us I think as we look at our industry was a cyber attack on the Democratic National Committee. Because it was one of the first times where the mass public realized that there are these massive implications that occur when cyber threats are carried out successfully. So if you look at the actual techniques themselves in the DNC hack, there was some sophistication. There were some basic tools being used, but nothing that was earth-shattering by any stretch of the imagination. But I think what was earth-shattering is that that led to a ripple effect where people started questioning the foundations of democracy. It's the first time that I feel people have truly questioned that, and they're questioning it because of a cyber attack. So I think for us as an industry, that has to be top of mind, because that's what our customers are thinking about in so much detail. And we've got to think about what it means for us to move forward as an industry in a world where that is now the new norm we live in the sort of post cyber threat world or this post ripple chaotic world of what cyber attacks can create today we've seen researchers or a couple of years ago we saw researchers able to compromise a car and find a way to remotely stop it from working put the brakes on remotely you know imagine they could do that in the future when there are millions of cars on the road or even worse if they can do that with millions of cars and they can direct where they go and push them towards a common target. I mean, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to call that almost like a cyber 9-11 type event, except this time the attackers can do it from the comfort of their own home, not have to actually be in a physical airplane to make that work. And so those implications to me are truly profound because I think we have to take a step back and realize that that's not beyond the art of the possible right now. That's actually within the realm of what we can conceive of. And it just takes one or two bad people out there. And there's a lot of people in the world. There's always a few bad eggs. And it doesn't take that many resources for those few bad eggs to cause some real sophisticated damage to infrastructures that we take for granted as being available to us at any time of day and night. And so there's a very careful balancing act we have to place professionals in security of how do we educate the public about the art of the possible without sometimes revealing too much, because that can turn people off from you know, really appreciating the risks that are, that are involved. We live in a world where things can go wrong any time, I and mean, we rely on trust in so many ways for everything we do. Look at the human body. There are viruses running in our bodies at any given moment in time. Um, it's not like we all are in this perfectly clean state. Maybe that's the case with the cyber world as well. There's all sorts of issues happening, but we focus on the ones that matter most. If you're a human, maybe you focus on, okay, is my heart working correctly? Or you know, if I have a, a serious illness, maybe I should go address that. But if I got like a light cold, I don't need to do the same remedy as if I had a flu. And so I think we have to rethink security models around priorities for what we're trying to achieve and then take a step back and look at things much more holistically than we have been in the past, as opposed to doing that whack-a-mole one-by-one job.
1: That's Zulfikar Ramzan from RSA Security. Finally, there's some news from the island of misfit toys. Only if you believe German security authorities, and who wouldn't, The toys in question aren't nice and underappreciated toys like Yukon Cornelius rescued in the old Puppetoon. In this case, the toy in question is one My Friend Kayla, a doll that Germany's federal network agency calls an espionage device. Parents are being advised to destroy any Kaylas because Kayla is recording their children's conversations and sending them back to Kayla's American manufacturer's genesis. Genesis says it's all on the up-and-up, they've got a privacy policy, and the interactions are just there to improve the customer experience, but the Germans are having none of it. It's also been noted that the ever-helpful community of security researchers has done some proof-of-concept hacking that modified Kayla to curse and yell scary stuff at kids. So it's research, everyone. We thought maybe Kayla was just hanging out with Tay. Tay? Are you listening? Tay? Joining me once again is Marcus Roshecker. He's the Cybersecurity Program Manager at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, Marcus, I wanted to touch on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, um, which has sort of uh, come under a closer microscope uh, lately because of some, some things going on. But, but before we get into all of that, why don't you start off, give us an overview of why is Section 230 of the uh, CDA so important?
0: It's critical to the Internet as we know it today. Basically, Section 230 provides that providers of interactive computer services cannot be treated as publishers or speakers of information that's posted by uh, users of those services. So in other words, a service provider cannot be held legally responsible for something that a user posts on that service. As you can imagine, if this protection did not exist, there would be very few companies or service providers that would actually be willing to continue offering their services because if they could be held uh, legally responsible for something somebody else posted on their service, you know, that's probably a risk uh, that no one would want to be confronted with.
1: And, and it's commonly referred to as a safe harbor provision, but um, it's, uh, there's some people who are, are sort of chipping away at it um, thanks to some conflicts with Airbnb.
0: Yeah, so basically a lot of um, cities and municipalities around the country are trying to sue Airbnb for violations of some of the postings that are, are on their Airbnb site. So uh, users use Airbnb to kind of rent out their apartments or their or rooms. And sometimes those listings on Airbnb violate uh, zoning laws or other regulations in those cities and municipalities. So cities are actually suing airbnb for those those illegal posts those illegal uh, listings and of course airbnb is taking objection to that to those suits claiming that they have a they have no legal responsibility to prevent um, those kinds of listings um, based on section 230 of the communications decency act but cities uh, and municipalities are passing new laws um, that try to circumvent the section 230 and uh, Airbnb is finding itself uh, more and more on the defensive here and, uh, and facing legal hurdles here.
1: All right, so it's something to keep an eye on because it really is uh, foundational to the Internet as we know it.
0: Absolutely, and if we see uh, a development here in the, in the case of Airbnb as regards to uh, Section 230, we might see this uh, these kinds of encroachments in other areas of the Internet as well. So it's definitely something to uh, keep an eye on.
1: All right. Marcus Roshecker, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2, or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com/cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com/cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security